1 Corinthians chapter 13. I know you've heard this a lot. If you've been in church any time, you certainly have. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith and I can remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Okay, if you are reading with me, will you read this with me? If you have your Bibles open, will you read verses 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 with me out loud? Here we go. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Thank you, women, ladies, sisters. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a woman, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then... Face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is... Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I want to pull this out to you because what we've been talking about is the, is this deep heart desire of belonging. And last night, my one job was just to prove to you that I believe that God is setting you up to ask the question of, do I belong? Am I chosen over and over through the course of your life in different ways, um, fleshing it out through different relationships and circumstances? And then I set you up to look at why that we're made in the image of God and that that image in and of itself is a sense of belonging. It is communal. It requires that we act together, that we go through things together. It's an eternal thing that we can't even shake on our worst days, on our best days, even if we tried. It's a part of every human being as our God code. But then as a believer, it's knit into us through the Holy Spirit and it's just being breathed into us through the kingdom of what Jesus has done as the finished work. And through the Spirit... Inside, living within us, giving us access to the most holy place. As the royal chosen line, the race, the holy nation. The new order is in town. And Jesus has flipped the kingdom on his on its head saying, Now you will no longer give a sacrifice for your sin. You will no longer uh, take an animal and shed blood with that animal as a sacrifice. You don't have to go through the rituals. Although 600 plus laws in the Old Testament, I have fulfilled them. So that's all I write back whenever somebody sends me Leviticus 19.28, don't get tattoos. Fulfilled. (laughs) I think that's happened like one time. The point is, we can disagree on a lot of things and prefer different things, and there's tension in relationships and all those things. The point is, is that all of that happened. Why all of those laws? Why the Old Testament? Why did the Israelites go through that? Because God was setting you up to belong to the finished work of Jesus Christ. The entire Bible. 
from the beginning to end is about Jesus. The main character is Jesus. The theme is Jesus. And so the Old Testament was used to set us up now in the church age to see that we need a rescuer. We need a redeemer, but not just any redeemer, a perfect one. Because there were 600 plus laws that needed to be fulfilled. And there is no way, even on our best day, that we do the 10 that we know kind of offhand. Because they repeated them in the New Testament for us. Thank goodness. Oh, yeah, yeah, the 10 commandments. Okay, yeah, I kind of do those. No, you don't. (laughs) You just don't do the big ones. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll preach. I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like it's, we needed a savior to go down into the nooks and crannies of the stuff that we don't even see, you know, like where we show up for church every Sunday and we're doing the thing, but we're only showing up for church because we want to be in and we want to belong to something. We want to be a part of something which we're motivated and driven to do, but we're just doing it so that we feel good about ourselves. We're just doing it so that so-and-so over there sees us show up and they think we're good. And, and that in itself is sin. You see how the holy things, the right things, we can turn even those things sinful so heaven help us. We need a savior. We're not perfect. And we're not meant to be. We're not intended. God did not make us to be perfect because then there'd be no need of Jesus. He meant for Jesus to fulfill the law totally. And he meant for the Old Testament people to show us what that was going to look like. If you look at the Old Testament, you see the actual tangible movement of what salvation will be for the church. You see slaves going free. Over and over and over and over again. And so by the time you get a thousand years later to the New Testament, our brain is going, oh, oh yeah. Oh, this is exactly what happened. Yeah, but this is happening in me. This is happening inside me as a believer because I live post Jesus. He has come for me. He's done this work that the Israelites wandered through the wilderness and they did all the sacrifice and the rituals and the traditions. They upheld all of those things as the chosen race. But I am a chosen race. And this sacrifice and this indwelling work lives in me. And so the business that God is about is to be reminding you of that all the time. Because we so easily forget. We so easily compromise our position when that is, it's not the truth of who we are. And so God is using all the relationships in our life and all the circumstances in our lives to, to constantly be reminding us, you are in, you are in. My son has finished the work. He died the full death. He went all the way past, present, future over your sin. Done. And when we can begin to live from our position, our eternal home position, when we on planet earth as women can begin to walk as though we are home in a, as sojourners, as exiles, and we know that this is not it. But we are secure in our eternal position and we can live that here on planet earth. That is when freedom happens. That is when obedience happens. So let me clarify for all of us churchgoers who love religion. We do. Humans love religion. We love order. We love system. We love something we can depend on and count on and show up for consistently that that makes sense to us. Let me just be clear. None of those things lead to freedom. Nothing, uh, no order, no system, no law leads to the freedom of your soul. That secures your eternity. And, And none of those things lead to obedience. Try me on that. 
I mean, I, I can tell you that from experience that I am the girl who's been in church. There was no reason for me to rebel and sin in the way that I did based on, uh, based on my religious history. No reason. I had heard the word of God. I had a genuine salvation experience at the age of nine. My story is not the story of I was lost. I was 30 years old. I had this great thing, great awakening, salvation experience. Came to the Lord after all of this abuse and promiscuity. And uh, no, no, I believed in Jesus as a Christian in the church. And was in some of the deepest, darkest pits of habitual sin that exist. That's my story. And so how does a person like me who has a genuine salvation experience is a Christian, a believer, loves the Lord with all our heart. Go through these deep bouts of shame and insecurity and doubt and disqualification and fear and rejection. Even though I'm doing the thing and I'm showing up. And, and so I'm, and I'm trying to be obedient I mean, I'm checking off my list every week. Okay, I didn't cuss this week. <laughs> I was nice to my husband this week. I didn't lose it on my kids this week. I didn't overeat this week. I didn't overshop this week. I didn't gossip this week. Check, 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 check. None of those things led to my freedom. It was the sincere, genuine love of Christ coming after me in the form of grace that led to my freedom, which then led to me want to be obedient. Do you see? Obedience does not beget freedom. Freedom begets obedience. So those of you in here who are free, really free, like you know who you are. You struggle. You're tempted. But at the end of the day, when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, you know whose you are. <laughs> you know that to get up and, and, and go to church and to pray for people and to love in ways that does not need return. That that is only the spirit in you. And you only recognize that and you are only able to respond as an obedient child to Christ. Because you are remembering that grace. You are remembering the fact that it has nothing to do with you. You are remembering that you were dead woman walking when he came after you. And it is that love that has changed your heart. And it gets you up in the morning and you say, I don't have to. I get to. I don't have to give over and above. I don't have to sponsor that compassion kid. I don't have to talk to that girl who looks weird and she is not my type and I don't know who she is and she does not look like how we would be friends. I don't have to do that. I get to. I get to because the love of Jesus has radically saved me. Glory. And what we just read... I told you last night, if you stack up all of your relationships and you add all your relationships up, for so many of you, if you total that, you have not experienced the most sincere love in your whole life. Maybe you've never had a genuine experience with love. And, and I wanted to read 1 Corinthians 13 because that is the picture of what genuine love looks like. And, and that is what belonging is. When you really belong, you are experiencing the, this love. When you know that you are secure and you are chosen and that is not compromised, you in the innermost parts of your soul and your mind and your body are experiencing the most sincere love available to human beings. And many of you right now are going, Casey, I, I don't know that I've ever experienced that. I don't know that I've ever believed that I was even worthy to receive that. And so I wanted us to read that aloud together, the way of love, first Corinthians 13, so that you can see just how difficult it really is. Because if you filter and I filter all of our relationships up to this passage of scripture, we go, I don't know if I'm giving this love 
to others. I mean, I don't know if I can honestly, sincerely say that I am giving love that does not need to be returned to others. So Lord, search my heart first. Let me look at me first and go, am I really loving people like this? And and chances are, if you're not loving people like this, high likelihood then because is because you've never experienced it for yourself. You don't know the way of pure, sincere love. And so this is why we open the word of God and we let him teach us and speak into what that is. But you can give yourself a definition that the most sincere love, the most unconditional love is one that needs no return. That's really just a very simple definition, but... Another portion of this that just is breathtaking to me that that wraps back into kind of our theme of belonging is this. Look at, did you catch this last part uh, in verse 12? That everything we see right now is partial. It's halves. We don't have full access. We read that in Ecclesiastes 3.11 last night. That God has written eternity on our heart, but he's not given us the full scope. Right? Why? Why don't we see the end scene? I mean, we know what happens, but to the end of our life and to the end of our life on planet earth tomorrow, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen a year from now, five years from now. We don't know how we're going to die. We know we are going to, we don't know how, what it's going to look like. And so why don't we see that part? He's written eternity into our hearts. We know that that's for us and it's coming, but in order to get there, what happens because then faith would not be required, right? If we, if we knew the final chapter of our life, there would be no faith required. And he is in the business of building faith and trust in us because it is how he shows us his love. Why is faith required in Christianity? Because it is the way that God makes himself known to us. Faith is a requirement of Christianity. You will not get all of it. And that is what, that's what we're reading right here in First Corinthians is that we don't see the whole picture. We only see in part, but look at this. Now I know only in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I love this. I love this because it is in the context of, of what, um, love, love, of God's definition of love. And so what we're actually reading, the literal translation is that to be loved by God is to be known by God. To be known by God is to be loved by God. They are, they go hand in hand and, and, and that is the deepest, deepest desire of our, especially as women, as human beings. That's that belonging. That's that pull. The pull of belonging. And I want to be a part and I want to be chosen and I want to be in. Is I just really want to be fully loved. No matter what I say, no matter what I do, you're not going to walk away from me. That's what we want to experience. That unconditional love. And you think about it. You think about the person in your life right now that is the most annoying person in your life. You think about, no, that was wrong. Wrong of me. Nope, I'm going there. You need to deal with y'all stuff, girl. We need to deal. You know, just write her name right on your page. Let's just write initials. How about us? Because she could be sitting next to you, so... Initials, maybe just a symbol. <laughs> you know, you know. Okay, you just keep. Okay, you know. <laughs> you know the girl that you're just you like. You see them coming in Walmart, and you're like, doo, doo, doo. and they're like, "Hey, Casey! Hey, hey, hey!" And you're, oh, 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 oh! I didn't even see you. Hey, you know. The wrong way to do that. The good news is, ladies, you're that person to someone else. (laughs) Level playing field here. 
But I'm going to prove my point to you. I'm going to prove my point about real love. If you think about the most frustrating person in your life or the most frustrating friend, why are they? Or, or hard. Maybe let's just say, maybe you've got a spouse that's hard. Maybe you've got a child that's hard. Maybe you've got, yeah, guess, yeah, yes, yes. Across the board, we have children that are hard and men that are hard. Yes. What makes, what makes people hard for us or frustrating or annoying or that person that we want to, you know, pretend like we didn't see? What makes a person that way to us? Where does the tension build? Where does the conflict rise in the story? Where do relationships sever? It's wherever there is a place of need. It's wherever there is a place of debt or deficiency. It's in all of us that says, I need something from you. So for me, friends that are hard for me is anywhere I feel that and sense that. Like we're in a friendship and I can tell that she needs something from me, which immediately turns me off. Like she needs me to show up a certain way or say a certain thing and, and, and she needs me to compliment or whatever. Those things begin to pull or she needs too much of our, of our time or she gets frustrated if I don't return text immediately or call her back immediately or respond this way or she needs me to act a certain way or, be, or dress a certain way or there's a compartment, a, carpet, a compartment that she wants to fit me in. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's that need that drives us nuts. And you're doing the same thing to someone else is the truth. We, we need, um, there's so many people in our life that we need to hear an apology. And we've got this debt that is owing to get to our love. You can come right here with me and I'll pretend, you know, everything's going to look fine. But to get to the full access of my love and resources, you're going to have to pay this first. And we're thinking those things. We're not verbalizing those things typically. A lot of those things are just an acknowledgement that you hurt me. An acknowledgement would be great. An apology would be even better. If you could just say, I'm sorry, then I would totally. You see what I'm saying? What is that? It's a debt. It's, it's not true love. That's not sincere love. That's not the love of God. And so you can see why we would have a lot of wreckage in our life. You can see why we have collected a lot of damaged relationships and broken things in our life because there's so much uh, debt that we, the, the collateral damage that we do and the IOUs that we have on the table. And that is not true love. Sincere, genuine, true love is to read through this and go, am I filtering my love? Does it look like this? Does it look like Patience and kindness, not comparing, not arrogant or rude. Do, is, is it not insisting its own way? Is it irritable or resentful? Or does it rejoice in the wrong in someone instead of seeing the good in them? Does it endure and bear? Does it keep record of wrong? You see, that, those are hard. And if we're really honest with ourselves, this is really hard. Why is this hard? Go back to Genesis 3. We kind of landed there last night and I want to go return back to that. Because I want to very just clearly and practically show you how we get in this situations of, of this compromised belonging. How we get ourselves into situations that lead to a place where we are doubting. And someone like me is, for example, in my story is you can be in the church and you can be doing all the right things. But inside you are dying. Inside you are depressed and ashamed and fearful and comparing yourself to everyone. And you feel you can be the most alone person in a group of hundreds of women. And you can feel totally alone and isolated. And what you'll see is just kind of collateral damage of relationships all around you. In your wake. In the chaos that you create. And there's no vulnerability to you. There's no honesty to you because there's a constant fear that if you really put the most sincere place of you out there, the most honest, vulnerable place of you in front, that they could reject you. And so you've learned how to manipulate love. You've learned how to control love and get what you want from it and then stop. 
And I know this practice full well. I know this practice full well. I learned to do this and I learned to do this in the church. I learned to, to watch what I thought that were the pretty people that seemed to have their act together and it all figured out because they showed up to church on Sunday and they drove nice cars and they dressed nice and they talked nice and they prayed and they raised their hands in worship and went to Bible study and served on committees and all of that. And I watched them and I realized that if I just did a lot of that, no one would ever see what I was really thinking, what I was really feeling, what I was really going through. If I just did a lot of that. And I learned to do that from a very early age because I was in the church from a very early age. So I started very young as a child and I would go home from church and things were so just a wreck at home. Toxic and dysfunctional and broken and so many, so much arguing and so many questions I had and I would escape at church. And I would go to church and I would find some peace and, you know. Just a moment to get away from all the chaos of my home life and my parents arguing and all the things that they were going through and not having any money and not being able to pay the bills and all, all that. And I would grow into a teenager who would learn to do all of this really well and hustle for that moment of going, okay, this is it. This is the belonging. This is the love I'm looking for. This is a reprieve for my soul. This is a a moment where I'm not going to feel the pain. Let me numb it. When I was 15 years old, I was at the prime of Christian Casey. I mean, I was like the president of the prayer team on campus, okay? And, I, and legitimately, we prayed. I mean, I think it was me and like two other girls. But <laughs> for what we knew at 15 in our little 15-year-old brains with all the stuff we were going through, we really were praying for our campus and praying for our teachers. And we were going to all the camps and we were serving and we were showing up. And, and, and uh, that weekend, there was a group coming to town called True Love Waits. So that was like in the heyday of True Love Waits when they were really popular and they were doing conferences all over the country. And they would come and they would set up on stage and they would set this band, ironically, of beautiful young men. (laughs) And at the end, when the smoke and the fog cleared and you saw their, their chin line and their cut chin and their skinny jeans and their swoopy hair. You can go, yes, please. I will sign up for whatever you are selling. Do I get you at the end of of my purity? And so when you're, (laughs) and I went to the true love whites conference and I meant it. And all the other girls had their dads there and they were signing this contract and they were getting this ring that said they were going to save themselves for marriage and not have sex until they were married. And I meant every bit of that. And my dad wasn't there and he wasn't present and he wasn't present for most of my life, which was a large part of my problem that I didn't know yet. And I went to the front and I signed that piece of paper myself and I got my ring and I was so proud. And I sat there with every little beat of my heart in the most honest place of my baby 15 year old lamb heart and said, I mean this Lord, I promise you, I promise you that I will not compromise. I promise you that I will not give my body and my purity to anyone until I say I do. And I meant every bit of it. Three months later, I found myself asking, God, I made you a promise. I made you a promise and I meant it all the way. But you did not keep yours. You did not keep your end of the deal. Because about three months after that conference, I was brutally molested and raped by an older man. And I was very, very mad at God. Just about as mad as any little teenager can be at anything. I was. Because I had given him my life. 
I had given him the most precious, intimate, vulnerable place of me, and I meant it. And I had shown up for everything that I was supposed to. I had done everything I was supposed to the right way. I wasn't like my friends who were going to all the parties and getting high. I wasn't doing that. But now, but now this is who you are. Well, then watch. And I went on a mission off the rails to show God exactly how mad I was. And so whatever thing you want to think of, go on ahead. Whatever would make your skin crawl, whatever would make you uncomfortable to think about a Christian doing, your teenage daughter doing, go ahead. That was the truth of my life. Mad and ashamed and feeling used and abused and unworthy. And the secret of this place, deep within, oozing and festering inside me. I want to show you what was going on inside me and what goes on inside us whenever there is pain and hurt. And many, many of you, the truth is that I get the honor of teaching thousands of women every, uh, all, all across the country every year. And the majority of us have been wounded and abused and victimized and betrayed and hurt in deep, deep ways. Many of us don't even know it. Many of us have not even put language on the hurt. We've just been in numb zone for so many years, like 20 plus years, some of us. We've just been surviving. And when we begin to push and press on those places and bring up those things from our childhood and teenage years and some of those places where we were so mad at God and so angry and did not and did not have the experience of sincere genuine, genuine love being shown and taught to us in our home that's where the tension is that's where the pain is if i press that wound that's where you start to retract away why because it's the most honest place it's the most sincere vulnerable naked tender place of who you are and for me to start touching and pressing on that causes pain And you've taught yourself and I've taught myself how to numb and avoid the pain in a lot of different ways. Whether we get high or we get high on a a drug or we get high on shopping. Or we get high on religion. Or we get high on gossip. Or we get high on work. You know, we can get high on a lot of different things and numb ourselves out so we don't have to feel the tension and the pain that is there underneath the surface and the honest places of who we are. But every single one of us have been hurt. That's across the board. Every single one of us have hurt and wounding in our story. Now, I want you to see what happens, the process of what happens when we experience now on planet earth hurt what where we can go with this and what where we begin to compromise this experience of who we are in Christ so in genesis chapter 3 which i always say if you don't know the very first three chapters of the bible if you don't understand how they work and weave you most likely have heard them a lot in church, but if you don't understand them, then you do not understand the whole of the Bible. So if you're just starting out in the word, I encourage you to get a really great commentary. That's really easy for you to read user-friendly and work through Genesis one through three and understand the garden of Eden and why God did what he did. If you don't come to some kind of rest on why God put us On planet earth in the beginning, created man anyways. Why did he do that anyways? And then furthermore, why did he put the tree there that they weren't supposed to eat? Furthermore, why did he allow uh, Satan in the picture? And then this, the fall of man. If we do not come to rest somewhere in there, we will be very weary Bible readers. And we will most likely give up on the course of our life. But if you have a very good 
sinking, anchor, deep, rich, working understanding that could be wrong. <laughs> there's, you can always be wrong. We can always be wrong. But there's a part of us that go, yes, I, I, I know God in this place. And I believe God so much in this place that he is so sovereign, that he is so holy, that he's so in charge of this thing. That I don't have to know all the answers. That's where you'll land. But, but, but truly, but truly, I'm going to just very, very briefly hit on this because I want to get through our time and, and honor that. So Genesis 3, we've caught up to Adam and Eve, creation of everything. Here we got Adam and Eve in this garden. Um, there's a lot of different theories out there on how long they've been here. Uh, you know... Old earth, new earth, were they there? Hundreds of years, were they thousands of years when we get to this point? Millions of years, we, we don't necessarily know. It's not highly important. What is important is that we know that they live in, in really a perfect state. And what the um, heaven will look like. Not Heaven's not, eternity as far as heaven is not floating in the clouds somewhere. And, you know, we'll all be floating on clouds with our harps, with angel wings. Nope. We'll be working. <laughs> We'll be working and the heavens will come down onto planet earth and planet earth will be restored into the Eden-like state. Okay. And so that's what we're, that's where we are at the beginning. That's where we'll be at the end of eternity. So here you see them in that Eden-like state. Their bodies are at the prime time. They have everything that they could need. They're completely provided for. Miles and miles of provision. They lack no thing. The only thing that makes them deficient is that they are mortal. So please don't lose sight. Because sometimes we read the story of Adam and Eve and we place this extra bit of uh, divinity on them. Oh no. (laughs) Read that again. They are from the dirt. They are a very created being who is mold and molded and made and created by a creator. They get their life and their breath and their movement from him. All right. And so, and, but in the garden, there's been placed a tree. And if you read in chapter two, uh, God says, you may not eat, you may not eat from the fruit of this tree. Now, very quickly, I'll just tell you my very personal, could be wrong theory about the tree. I believe that perhaps the most, uh, the most unloving thing of God would be to set us up in any experience or environment where we had to be God. I think we make really awful gods, actually. And I think that the most loving thing is for him to always be reminding us that we do not need to take on that role. I think the most loving thing is that God is always placing trees in our life, reminding us that we do not need to pick up this burden or this responsibility of making the world spin, which releases me. I don't know about you, but it just releases me to go. There's so many things I think I need to do or the, or everything's just going to shut down and everybody's going to be awful and the world's going to stop and my family's going to, you know, and I think I need to do this ministry or do this calling or, you know, and really at the end of the day, I don't, God does not need me to do any of those things to be any more God. He is fully, fully sustainable in and of himself. And so he puts these trees, I think, and I think he did the same for Adam and Eve. And I think it was a sweet, loving thing. I think it was a gift to be reminded that, that you are limited. I, I created you to be limited. And this tree is reminding you that you are completely dependent upon me, Adam, Eve. And you are not creator. And you don't have to be. What a sweet love. I've got this, him saying. So that's just my personal theory. But... Anyway, we're going to pick up on, on chapter three, verse one, where, where Satan enters the picture. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Oh woman, why did he go to the woman? You think he knew what he was doing just a little bit. You think that was extremely intentional? Absolutely. Because he knew this about us women. The serpent, Satan, is, he's crafty, but sometimes we can give him a lot more power than he needs. So we can give him a lot more power than he deserves. Because he really just has the same game. 
He's, all, he's not privy to any other information. You realize that, right? He's not privy to the future. He can't see the future. All he can do is respond on your past. All he can do is study you and watch you. And he knows what your thing is. He knew for me as a child and a teenager that my thing was men. That I had been so uh, rejected by my father. That there was such an absence there. And then I had been used and abused by another man. That now for the rest of my life, I would be drawn into these unhealthy, could be drawn into these unhealthy relationships just because I was so desperate for someone to love me. So desperate for some man to choose me and consider me worth it. And, and, and Satan wasn't privy to that because he could see my future. He was only privy to that because that's how I responded in doubt and shame over and over. I created a pattern that he could follow. And he knew where I was weak and he knew what to use. And that's all his game is, ladies. He just has the same sad game over and over, but we give him plenty. We speak out. He doesn't have access to our mind. He doesn't have access to our heart. We just give him all the words that he needs. When we're talking about other people behind their back, when we're talking down about ourselves, we're giving him all the ammunition he needs. And then we wonder why we're feeling attacked because we've been giving him his artillery. And so he studies and he watches very closely. And I believe he'd been studying Eve and he realized that he needed to go to the woman because the woman would be the one who would actually bite. The woman would not only be the one who would actually bite, she would be the one who would own it. Because he knew, he knew an age-old human truth that any great, you know, counselor that you know or any just great mom knows or a person knows that you have to, if somebody is going to really change behavior or do something in their life, it has to be on their terms. They have to believe that is true. They have to make that decision. You cannot make it for them. Right? Mom with children? <laughs> I mean, we can push them and we can pray and we can live that out by, by example. But ultimately, for them to really uh, change a behavior or act in a way, a specific way, that has to be their, their decision. That has to be their truth for it to be real. I mean, we can placate. We can play pretend. But for it to be real, you know what I mean? I don't want my kids just to go to church because they just watch me go to church and that's what they're supposed to do. I want my kids to go to church because they are desperate for the presence of the church. They want to belong to Jesus and they want to be obedient to him. I want that decision to be theirs. And so that's why I believe he went to the woman because I think as women, we take everything into consideration I think men are, are more practical. Their brain is made up of boxes. And men's brains, men can move in and out of a box whenever they want to. But they're only in one box at a time. You know what I'm saying? So they can't think about the other box when they're in the one box, you know. And mainly their boxes, I think, are work, food, and sex. I'm pretty sure that's... About covers it? Yeah. No. no. Man, I love you. Oh, whoa. Well, you do have one more box. The nothing box. <laughs> I learned that a few years into marriage when I looked over my husband. I'm like, oh, what are you thinking? I have all these words. Let's just talk about all the things that we're thinking and feeling. And he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm not thinking about anything. I'm like, no, 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 Like right now at this moment, what are you thinking? He's like, I got nothing. I... Seriously? Nothing? They have a nothing box. They can literally be thinking nothing. Whereas women, we have it all together. We're just a bunch of cables all meshed together. And we can do all these things, but everything is contingent upon the other thing and, re and exposed to the other thing and reactive to the other thing, you know. So if we burn the meatloaf, we're like a horrible mom and the rest of our week is gone. And we're not going to get invited to that pampered chef party. It's all together, you know. So that's why I need to go to the woman. 
He knew that she would take it into all the places of who she was. She would think about it and then she would own it. And she would attach it to her, her mental state, her emotional state, and her physical state, which is exactly what she did. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God did say, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Eve... I want you to note in your Bibles or in your notes that this is the first, first time we see sin enter the picture in a, in a human, in a mortal. She immediately, she immediately has distorted the truth of who God is. She has already, she has already within just a few moments exaggerated what God said. Because if you read back in Genesis 2, he never said that they couldn't touch the tree. He only said, don't eat the tree. Oh, women, oh, women, oh, oh. Oh, we do this. Oh, we do this. Because we want uh, to, to belong. And so we just elaborate a little bit to make the story better. Our version is better. And it gives us some crazy uh, dysfunctional comfort to be able to say, oh, and this too. (laughs) God never said that they couldn't touch it. They could climb the tree if they wanted to. They could carve their names in the tree. He just said, don't eat it. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Verse five, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Okay. You see what all she just did. She just took ownership of it through a process of making it personal. She thought about it. She convinced herself. Women, we do the same thing. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I want to just pause here and I just want to say uh, for us to look at this pattern. We've got to look at this pattern because this is the pattern that you and I will always go to. Um, Because there will be temptations that come in our life. But it is lingering in the temptation that leads to distrust the Lord. So you can be tempted about something all day long and not be in sin. But when you linger in that temptation and you give way and time and you convince yourself of something. What Eve has convinced herself is this, and this is what women will always do because we all start out good and Eve did too. She did not mean to sin. She loved the Lord. She was in relationship with the Lord. She communed with the Lord. She fellowshiped and walked with the Lord. Her intention was not to go off the rails. Her intention was not to distrust the Lord. Her intention was merely to consider and think this through. And I truly believe, I think this is a synopsis of what happened. I think that Genesis 3 took years to play out. Because I just, you cannot convince me enough that Eve would just bite like that. 
That's not how it has happened in my life because I love the Lord. I had a genuine salvation experience with him at such a young age. And so my sin was painful to me. I hated my sin. And I would go through these high highs and these low lows where I'd be, you know, doing all the right things and and not doing, not distrusting the Lord. But then I would go to these dark places and I would, and I would compromise everything. And I would do this for years. Why? Same reason. So the first thing that you see is that she thinks about it and she takes ownership. I think that she took the fruit home and she put it on her her mantle and she passed by it for maybe years and just kept thinking about it. And when she saw that it was desirable to make her wise, when she saw that it was desirable to uh, look at That she would be like God if she ate it. Then that is when she ate. Why did she ate? Because she could help. What was the thing in her mind that that was the switch that said, okay, this is a good idea. Because she thought God might need her help. Ladies, I implore you to look at the areas of your life where you think God needs your help. And you are right in, if if you can look at those places and you are truly saying to yourself, if I just keep control of this, if I just keep, you know, the kids this way or my husband this way, or I keep saying this, or I show up for this meeting and I just keep my place in order like this, God needs my help. I'm helping him. And it is, it is right there that you are in the, the, the very The very beginning stages of compromising. That is when you are the most vulnerable to the enemy in that place. That is where you are lingering in a temptation. That could turn into a habitual pattern of sin in your life. And I want, and so I want us to really be honest about this because this is where we start. We don't start out going, we're just going to completely rebel against God. It starts out going, oh, I can fix this. Oh, I can do this. And, and we do it in, in our personal lives with our relationships first. Oh, I can fix her. If she would just listen to me. Oh, I can fix my church. My church has a lot of problems. You know, we're praying for the pastor. Yeah. You know, and you're thinking, if I could just get in this meeting, if I could just say this, and then I can fix this. Okay, so you, this, this is where it starts. And when we linger here, we begin to take this control. And this is what she did. But the bite, the bite of the fruit represents the actual behavior, the actual action. So that would be any place in our life that is the behavior of distrust, the behavior of sin that we see. That's why we need a savior that goes into the recesses of our heart and saw the places we don't see because we're just sinning all the time sometimes. If you're talking about the heart. But as far as behaviors, we can really, we can manipulate those. We can expose what we want to of those and give people what we want to of those. And so this bite that she has, I mean, that would be anything like it. That, that moment where you, you cross that line and it's gossip. That moment where you're at the prayer group and you think you need to pray for, you know, Stacy, ladies, we just, let me just tell you about Stacy. She's in just a really bad way. We need to pray for her. She's making some really bad choices. She's drinking. She's sleeping around. And you're telling before long, Stacy's not there and you're telling Stacy's life and that's gossip. And maybe Stacy hasn't even given you permission for that. And the Lord doesn't need your prayer group to pray that for her to be healed. He needs that prayer group to go love her where she is. And say some prayers straight to her face maybe. And so that you see the, you see the very, very tiny, 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 fine line that we can miss. And we can take that bite. But I want you to see immediately what happened. Because this was where I fell for years this is when I, when I went into my 20s, and in this Bible translation says fear. You'll see some of your Bible tra- translations say shame, that after they took the fruit and they ate it, and they, they ate, their eyes were open, they knew they were naked. Okay, what is that symbolic of, that naked? That is just honesty. That's your honesty. The most honest place of you, the worst of you. 
They knew that they were naked and they were in fear. They were, and then you'll see ashamed in many translations. I want you to look at those feelings because that is how it, you know, you know that you are distrusting the Lord is if you are feeling that deep, deep place of shame. And that is is where I was for years, just so ashamed of what had happened in my life, of my body and and feeling like no man would ever want me. And so when Justin Van Norman, this fine looking cowboy who could just wear the heck out of a pair of Wranglers, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) And from good Southern Baptist stock too, just as good as gold. I mean, Justin Van Norman is the guy... (laughs) He's nearly 40 years old and he still wears plaid polos from like his senior year of high school. I mean, this is the guy, he watches John Wayne to go to sleep. I mean, it is like the salt of the earth. And when I met Justin, pure, had saved himself for marriage, loved the Lord, just honorable. His parents are awesome, respectful. It just loves and loved me. And I swooped him right up. But I still had so many patterns in my life and so much shame at the base that I didn't even have, uh, had never, had never, had never exposed. No one had ever seen the most naked place of me. And I've never really talked about all of that hurt. And so it had just been festering and growing and it was bleeding out. And I got married there. And so I married this guy. But the truth of my marriage to Justin, yes, I loved him very much and believed that we were supposed to be together. But the also truth is I thought that he was so shiny that people would look at him instead of me. And so yet again, another cover. Justin was like my fig leaf. And wherever the fix and the feeling meet, they make a fig leaf. In your life, wherever you are fixing something and you've got a feeling of shame and they come together, watch out because you have got a fig leaf in your life that is covering the truth of who you are. And it is fooling everyone in your life and it is fooling you. And God is saying, no, no, no. I want to get to the most honest, naked, vulnerable place of who you are and show you that I am Lord of that and show you that I can heal you of that, restore you there. You don't have to live that way. I have more for you. And that is what he has done in my life. Through the course of a horrific, painful season. Of just compromise after compromise. Entering into an adulterous relationship with another man. In the church. Showing up and putting on a show of religion. Because it was my fig leaf too. And lying to those, you know, and at the end of it, when I got that phone call that the secret had been exposed, that the darkest place of my soul had been exposed to the world. And and when you live in a small town in East Texas, it's like the world. (laughs) Because in a matter of three hours, the entire town knows. And, And it's all now, it's a whole different story and it's elaborate. And that's what happened to me. I mean, it was just all these different stories and all these other people were involved that had never been involved. And it just, oh, it was awful. Awful. Our church asked us to leave. And we were literally, literally, as far as humans alone, most of our, our friends rejected us and left and walked. They could not believe And I'm sitting here on the floor this day that this, I get this phone call knowing that Justin is on his way home to talk about this. And I'm sitting on the floor and I am literally saying, God, if you don't take me out, take me out. I cannot bear it. I cannot bear who I've become. I had worked so hard on my life. My whole life I had devoted to it. My whole life, I had given my resources and my energy and my time and my relationships to becoming the girl I so wanted to be. And I had fooled so many people to believe that that's really who I was, including myself. And to finally be on the floor, completely naked and exposed and vulnerable, and it be the messiest thing you have ever seen. 
You want to talk about a pit. You want to talk about alone. You want to talk about rejection. You want to talk about shame. I felt it all. To the point where I no longer wanted to live. What in the world can change me? What in the world is the force that saves me? What is the power that says and reminds me that I am in, I am chosen, I belong. That girl, that girl there, who is the girl she said she would never become. Who is the girl that judged and made fun of and gossiped other women like her. And now she's there. What hope is there for a wretch like me? Who will take those most tender places and speak life and truth and hope and healing into them? I'm going to read you the verse that I sat with for many, many months of aloneness in my home. Not even going to the grocery store for six months. Not even going to pick up my kids from school. Avoiding everyone in my town. And I would read this over and over and none of it felt true. None of it felt true for months and I would just make myself get up and read it again and again and again. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God. And I would just read those two words. But God. In the face of it all. But God. In the face of all the people who hate me and reject me. But God. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when you were dead in your sin. Made you alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up. And seated with him in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. By grace, in the great love of God, his brand with which he loves us is grace. It is this lavished, undeserved, at all times, hounding, pursuing love that comes after us when we are a dead woman walking. And, 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 very, and I realize that I'm a rare story and this may not be your story. But my story is that my husband sat at the foot of my bed, broken and angry and scared and hurt and weeping. And I fully ready to watch him walk away. I fully prepared to take the full responsibility and weight and consequence and punishment, whatever of my sin and him walk with the kids out of the house. I was prepared for that. I was out. And for him to sit on the edge of our bed, place his hand on my leg, look in my eyes and say, Casey, I am so hurt. But I do not know how to not love you. You want to talk about grace. God knew that because of my life. God knew that how deeply I disbelieved. That he could love me. That I was going to need a radical. Tangible. Physical revelation. Of his grace in my life. That I was going to need to put my hands on it and touch it. And so he took me to the absolute end of myself. So that my man could show up. And be this form of grace. Completely the spirit. He will tell you that was not him. Completely the Holy Spirit of God. And then to watch the unleashing and the unfolding. That has been our marriage of the past nine years. To restore and heal. To become friends again. To become intimate again. To be the guy that I go to first. To be the guy that I go to. And, and, and you know why I get to go to Justin first? Because I don't need him to love me. He does. He is awesome. And I adore him. 
But I don't need him to feel that in me anymore. And I don't need another man to, and I don't need you to, and I don't need my friend to. I don't need the church to. I am completely secure in who I am in Christ, my crazy and all. Yes. And this is the message I want you to hear. This is the heartbeat that I want us to be alive in today, women. Walk out because do can you imagine how this set, this mentality, this position, this belief will change your life. It will change your marriage. It will. There are some of you in here that need healing in your marriage. You need a restored marriage. You need a restored friendship. There are so many of us. We just need to forgive somebody. Without an apology. We need to forgive. There's some of us in here. We need to love outside of our comfort zone. We need to let go of some prejudices. We need to let go of some boxes. We need to let go of what we think we know about things and people. And we need to listen with open hands. And hear. There's some of us in here that are being called to go out into very uncomfortable places. To talk to some very uncomfortable people and serve in some very uncomfortable ways. And you know because you can't knock it and you can't shake it. It's all you think about. Oh baby, that's called the voice of God. (laughs) He's not going to let you shake it. And as a believer, just, just, I want you to hear the hope in that. That grace, that love, when we belong in that, when that is our position, when we are secure in that, and we know we can weather any storm from that place, we can. We can weather a cancer diagnosis. We can weather a betrayal. We can weather brokenness, suffering, pain, disease, because this is not our home. We want Eden back, and that's where we're going We are in. The work is finished. And in that place, there is freedom and grace and a love that heals and restores and sets you up to know him. 